We're Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. We've been redecorating our house over the past couple months, and one of the things that we've been doing is taking down old photographs from our walls. And I kind of feel like as we've done that, I've won a little battle with my wife. For years, I've been telling her that family photographs on the walls are not necessary because we know exactly what each other looks like. Um, and I, I know that I'm not most, the most sentimental person. I mean, that's, that's what happens when you grow up in a British family, um, which is what my family was. But, so as we, as we were taking down these old photographs, um, we, we took these photographs and we put them into a shoebox of a collection of photographs that we've gathered over the years. And we came across a couple of things. We came across this photograph here, which is not Caden, it's actually me about... 46 years ago, 45 years ago. And then we came across this photograph as well, which is my wife. <laughs> and then, brace yourself, we came across this. Oh, <laughs> it's awful. I mean, that faux leather jacket, I don't know what's going on with that. And that kind of standard issue Baptist missionary beard, you know, I mean... It just is rather interesting. If that photograph was on our walls, honestly, there would have been an intervention a lot sooner. And uh, our, our girls taught us recently a phrase called hashtag glow up. I don't know if you've heard of that. So basically, it's, it's a significant improvement the older you get. So that's, I guess, is hashtag, hashtag glow up. Except I was just thinking the other day, though, this is probably as, as good as it gets. So my future is probably hashtag glow down. It's probably... All, all that we have, have in store for us. <laughs> Sorry. The point is this. The point is simply this. We've, we've changed, and we've matured, and we've grown up, and we, we had to, I mean, as those pictures indicate. But we're still the same. It's still Steve and Debs. It's still us. And I, I was even thinking this morning of doing something radical, like shaving my, my beard and leaving my mustache in order to illustrate the point. But the last time I did that, my wife said I looked like Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. If you can put that, that that's who my wife said I, I actually looked like. So, I've shared, this, I've shared this with you before, but for the first eight or nine years of my life, my dad sported a very impressive Tom Selleck-like mustache. And, uh, and then one night, without giving me any forewarning, he decided to shave it off and I can still today remember the moments that I woke up and I saw my dad coming out of my parents' room and I was convinced he was an absolute stranger. I mean, I was literally traumatized. And it took some convincing, but I, I began to realize that although my dad hadn't, didn't have his, his, his mustache any longer, it was, it was still him. It was still my father. Some of you will remember the incredible ministry we had with Chanel Rousseau um, towards the end of last year. Chanel is a friend of this church and uh, carries a very significant and strong prophetic gift. And we invited her to come and minister to our church. And she, she ministered powerfully over many of you and over our church. And one of the things you may remember her saying on the Sunday morning was this, God is birthing change and transformation. And the winds of change are in the air. And if you've been part of Church in the City for, for any length of time, you'll know that to be true. I mean, over the last 
couple years, we've completely redefined our, our vision and values, our vision framework. We've completely redefined that, that, that framework which, which articulates who we are, and, and it paints a picture of, 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 of the world that we long to see. Uh, we've, we've, we're, we're on this journey together as a church to, to find a building, a location that we can call our, our own, so we can plant roots in a neighborhood and make an impact into the whole of the city. And then today, the great celebration we have today is to announce our new name and new logo that goes with our vision framework. And with all of these changes, I think maybe for some of us, the eight-year-old within us feels a little like dad maybe has shaved off his mustache. And I want to say these, these changes are necessary because as a church, we're beginning to grow up. But, but it's absolutely still us. It still is us. So no matter where we meet or no matter what we choose to call ourselves or, or how we define our vision and values, you need to know that, that Jesus will always be our first love and the head of this church and, and the one that we worship. And, and our longing and, and, and our conviction is that no one without exception will ever be excluded from the presence of God and the truth and saving grace of the gospel. So yes, in some degree, much has changed. But because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13 tells us, nothing has changed at all. We're still the same church, albeit with a new name at the end of today. Still the same church with a new name, but with the same mandate. And that is our longing to, to know Jesus and to make him known. I heard someone say this. Uh, well, I, I didn't hear someone say this. I actually read this this week. It says, life is lived forward, but it's best understood looking back. Life is lived forward, but it is best understood looking back. And, and that's essentially my plan for today. Today is a celebration looking back of what God has done. So if, if you are part of Church in the City, as we go through some things that God has done over the last two years, I hope it'll confirm in you what I hope you already know. And that that is that God is on the move and doing something. And if you're visiting church in the city today, firstly, welcome. But secondly, I want to say you have chosen the perfect Sunday to come. Because this is not only an exciting Sunday, but you get to enjoy for one Sunday what took us at 10 or 12 Sundays to do about a year ago. So this is a summarized version of what we've been working through over the last few weeks, over the last few years. One thing we've always taught and what we always believe at Church in the City when it comes to faith, when it comes to a faith journey, is that the greatest outcome, the greatest result, the greatest kind of reward, if I can use that phrase, the, the greatest outcome of any faith journey is not the promises of God fulfilled, although that is great and that is amazing. The greatest outcome of, of any faith journey is that you and I get to be closer and more intimate with Jesus. That's the great prize. That's the great reward. That's the thing that we are after. Deeper in love with him and more aware of his presence. And we say that because faith, a journey of faith, teaches us so many things. It teaches us to hear the voice of Jesus. It teaches us courage to say yes to God's word. It teaches us patience to wait for Jesus and not to run ahead of him. It teaches us the assurance and the certainty that comes with his word, that he is faithful to fulfill his promise. It teaches us the, the conviction to stand firm on the promises of God. It teaches us the blessing of community 
and those that God puts around us and the wisdom when it comes to faith of learning to listen and bounce things off one another. Faith teaches us ultimately that God is good and that he is faithful. And, and I would suggest to you that, that, that if we don't draw closer to Jesus through any faith journey, even if the promises of God are fulfilled, I believe we've missed the point. Jesus himself says this. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but to lose their very self? And I hope that as a church over these last two years, as, as we look back and, and see all that God has done, I hope that along this faith journey, we haven't achieved or walked into the promises of God without growing closer to Him. I hope that in our hearts there is a greater hunger and a greater desire and a greater longing to be close to Jesus. So, so the first thing a faith journey teaches is intimacy with Jesus. But the second thing we learned that a faith journey does is a faith journey always starts with the promise of God. A faith journey always starts with something that God declares, something that God reveals, something that God announces that he wants to do in our lives or in, in, in a church. And our response, faith, our response of faith is, is simply our conviction that God is going to do what he said. That God is faithful to his promise. That's all that faith is. Faith says, I trust that God is faithful and he will do what he said. And this faith journey that we've been on over, the, over these last two years started in January 2017 with these words that God spoke over, over Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go from your country, your, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. God was saying, as you follow, as you obey, as you go, I'm going to show you what to do. We spoke about this at our connect group on Wednesday night. Eric pointed this out, and, and I know this to be true, but do you notice that God says, go, and as you go, I will show you the next step? I mean, how many of you will know it would have been so much easier for God to say to Abraham and so much easier for God to say to us, all right, let me show you everything that I'm going to do. Let me, let me kind of map it out for you. Let me tell you all that I'm going to do and let me tell you all the times and when all of this is going to happen. And then you can go. No, that's, that's not faith. Faith is hearing a sense of God's word, a, a getting a picture of what we believe God wants to do and then responding to his word. As we step out, God begins to reveal more and more. That's the third thing we've learned this, these, over these last two years. Firstly, that, that any faith journey leads us ultimately to greater intimacy with Jesus. Secondly, that every faith journey starts with the promise of God. And thirdly, as we respond, as we go, God begins to reveal the next step. Psalm 18 says that. I love the words from Psalm 18. David writes, you broaden the path beneath my feet. You broaden the path beneath my feet so that my ankles do not give way. When I, when I read that verse, what I, what, I, what I think we all want is a, is a red carpet that is rolled out for eternity and we know exactly where to go. But what God does as we step, as we take those steps of faith, beneath our feet, God begins to reveal his plan and his purpose for our lives. And so as we began to respond to Genesis 12 verse 1, which in all honesty we thought 
was an invitation towards owning a building. And that invitation and that promise still stands. We still believe that is God's plan for us. But I want to say, friends, God began to reveal to us that it actually was so much more. The phrase that began to ring in our hearts was this phrase, begin to build above ground. Let me take a moment just to sidestep and explain that that term. It's now time to begin to build above ground. God spoke a very clear and, and strong prophetic word over us in October of 2017. The picture we received was of a big construction site, and we knew that construction site was church in the city. But the picture we saw was simply of foundations having been laid. And then as we stand at this construction site, Jesus calls us over and gives us a brick, not like this one, not this brick. I mean, this is a prophetic picture, but God gave us a brick like this. And with it came the words, it's now time to begin to build above ground. It's now time to begin to build above ground. And as we, as we pondered that prophetic picture, two things became very clear. Firstly, foundations had been laid in the church, but it had taken 14 years to do that. And it spoke to us of the importance, and, the, and especially with the church, for a church's longevity, for a church's growth, for a church's stability, it is essential that good, strong foundations be laid. If you are a parent in this room, you will know what I'm about to say to be absolutely true. If you're not a parent, you, you probably won't understand it, kind of experience what I'm about to say or know the experience of what I'm about to say, but trust me and take my word for it. We live in a culture where our culture and society is trying to force our kids to grow up too quickly. That's what this culture is doing. And I, I love seeing my, my girls and my son becoming strong, independent people. And I long for that for them. But you'll know if you are a parent, our culture is forcing maturity on our kids far too early and far too soon. And I think the same is true for church life. And I know it's been true for me as we've led church in the city these past 15 years. There have been times I've gotten frustrated with God. I've gotten frustrated with the timing. I've wanted things to happen sooner. And God keeps saying to me, for the church's longevity, for the church's stability, for the church's growth into the future, these foundations need to be laid slowly and carefully so they are strong and secure. The second thing that God began to reveal to us out of this prophetic picture was this, this idea of building above ground wasn't just for a physical building, but it was God revealing his purpose to church in the city. It felt as if Jesus, our, our chief architect, our master builder, was beginning to reveal and, and unfold his plan and purpose for the church, beginning to show us what his framework looked like. Last week, Mark Nelson shared this beautiful line from, from Psalm 127, and it says this, unless the Lord builds the house. In the, passion, uh, uh, in the Passion Paraphrase, it says this, unless God gives grace to the builders, the builders labor in vain. And, and that's what the, these last kind of two years have been, God giving grace to church in the city, God showing church in the city what his grace looks like to us. That gave rise to this incredible and exciting new vision framework that God began to uh, reveal. We never had the words previously to articulate what God had been doing, but there seemed to be a grace on us to begin to frame and form this, this new vision and new purpose and new passion that God revealed to us. This vision framework started with our belief, the, the foundation on which 
everything rests. And it's this statement here, the power and presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us with intimacy with the Father and, and, and frees us from everything that holds us down and holds us back. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, I, I never grow tired. I never grow accustomed to that. Every time I read that, it just feels to me like I'm reading something again for the very first time and grasping different aspects of, of its power. That is the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. The, the, the invitation to, to, to enjoy the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that comes by knowing Jesus. The transforming power that comes as we behold the beauty and glory of Jesus. And the intimacy and, and acceptance Most importantly, the intimacy and acceptance that we have from the Father as we come into his presence. I wrote this down. In Jesus, I am free from sin's power. I'm free from sin's penalty. And when Jesus returns, I'll be free from sin's presence. In Jesus, I am free from trying to earn his love, free from condemnation, free from fear, free from shame, and from thinking only about myself. In Jesus, I'm free to love him, free to worship him, free to surrender and trust him, free to serve him and others, and ultimately free to say yes to him. In Jesus, we are free. Jesus gifts us with freedom as we enjoy intimacy with the Heavenly Father. And as we enjoy intimacy with the Heavenly Father, we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And this foundation, this, this belief calls us to, to respond to God's anthem cry, calls us to respond to God's rally call, this, 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 this purpose that God is speaking over church in the city, to glorify Him and to be on mission for Him. And our vision statement, our, our, our banner statement that captures something of this this, this, this banner statement which is unique to church in the city, but can I say also true for all that God has been doing since the beginning of time. And I say that because it's so important to realize that as a church, friends, we are not asking God to get on our program, but we are trying to figure out what God is doing and for us to get involved in what He is up to. Our banner statement is this, all of Jesus for everyone. All of Jesus for everyone. All is the portion of himself that God has given us. The all of God is present in his image, his plan, and his son. The all of Jesus requires a yes from us, a yes to Jesus as Savior, and a yes to Jesus as Lord. And friends, if we, if we understand the, the, the significance of that statement, all of Jesus, all of Jesus means we don't get to choose the version of Jesus we like best. All of Jesus means we don't get to decide and pick and choose and say, I like that part of him, but that part I think he can keep for himself. No, God calls us to a relationship with the fullness of who Jesus is. As the book of Colossians says in chapter 2 verse 9, Paul writes, For in Christ, for in Jesus, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, all of God is manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. And we learned last week out of Ephesians chapter 3, we are filled to the measure of the fullness of God, the measure that God uses when he pours out Jesus into our hearts. The measure that God uses is the measure called fullness. We get it all. We get all of him. All of Jesus. All of Jesus for who? All of Jesus for everyone. All of Jesus for everyone starts in here. It starts for every one of us. 
and as warm and fuzzy as that makes us feel, can I say we must be careful not to hold on to all of Jesus for ourselves? Because all of Jesus for everyone in here doesn't reflect the, ma- the magnitude of God's plan to take all of Jesus to people from every tribe and every tongue and from every country and from every generation. That's the mandate that we see in Scripture. God says to Adam and Eve, rule and reign and increase and, and subdue and fill all the earth with my glory. God says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. God reminds his people through the prophet Isaiah, my, uh, uh, I will make you a light for all nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus unambiguously reveals the Father's will in John 6. He says, my Father's will is that everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him on that last day. And then in Revelation chapter 7, this beautiful picture of, of the, what, where creation is heading. After this, John writes, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches and they cried out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the, on the throne. All of Jesus for everyone, cannot be reduced to all of Jesus for some. But we cannot reach everyone until we take all of Jesus to someone. And the question we asked last year and the question that I still ask yourself and myself is, who is that someone for you? Who is that someone that God is asking you to take all of Jesus to? Our belief gives rise to our, our, our banner. Our banner is activated or comes alive through our values. These are, these are commitments that we make to one another or have made with one another. The, the things that we hold each other to account on how we are to activate our banner. All of Jesus for everyone requires, firstly, all of us for Jesus. And that's the value that we value most. All of us for Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a response to the lordship of Jesus. It's a, re, it's a reflection of worship. It's a statement that we are all in. And as we learned last week, all in does not mean more doing. All in means more being. All of Jesus for everyone requires that we abide in God and we move with God. Friends, we cannot be driven by needs. We cannot be be distracted by good things. Needs and good things, let me tell you, will distract us and ultimately destroy us. We have to be a church that is fighting for the one thing that is needed above all else, and that is intimacy with the person of Jesus. Because as we find intimacy with Jesus, then he will begin to reveal what the Father's will is for our lives. We can busy ourselves with so many good things, but friends, are we doing the one thing that is needed? Following the person of Jesus. All of Jesus for everyone requires that we always remember we serve the God of the impossible. You see, when God speaks, when God reveals, when God declares, we trust him to be faithful, even though circumstances look different with our natural eyes to what Jesus has said. All of Jesus for everyone requires that we invite others to join us in knowing Jesus. We, we long to see the great commission fulfilled. And how? By being motivated by the great command, the great command to love God with all of our hearts, the great command to, to learn to love ourselves well so that we can love others. 
And then lastly, all of Jesus for everyone requires that we are with and for each other. You see, we long to see the great command, sorry, we long to see the great commission fulfilled. We are motivated by the great command, but this happens and is achieved by the great community. When God brings us together, the Bible says we will be known as God's people by the love that we share for one another. Our belief gives rise to our banner. Our banner is activated through our values. And perhaps most importantly is this is held together by our ethic. It's the flavor that our vision framework takes as we interact with the world. And the question I've been asking myself this week is what do we taste like to the world? Will they taste that God is good? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, You show that you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. In other words, Paul is saying the Spirit of God writes God's Word on our hearts. And the question I was asking, realizing this, this week, is that, is that to many people that we interact with, they will never read the Bible. But the word of God they will read is the word of God that is written on our hearts. I trust that it's a message that lines up with God's word. And our ethic is simply this. Love is the difference and we get in order to give. Love is the difference and we're called to be a generous people. We get in order to give. One of the most profound statements that came last year as we were unpacking our vision framework was James' statement when he said this. This is the framework not the hard work. This is the framework, not the hard work. In other words, our response is relationship with Jesus and ownership of what he's called us to do, not effort in order to make it happen. We need to position ourselves well in order to see God move. And to that end, I want to show you a video that some of you have already seen. One of my favorite videos that communicates this point of relationship and positioning ourselves well to respond to what God is doing, not human effort, not self-effort to try and make it happen. Eloise, if we can have that video playing, that would be great. I love that commercial because I'm that kid. I'm that kid. In, 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 I try to do so much to impress God. I try to do so much in my own strength. I, you know, I, I'm trying to, trying to do this and do that and busy myself with this and that, and the result is only frustration. And, and I love when that kid got himself in the right position. Did you notice that? He positioned himself with his father behind him. And when his father was behind him and he was in the right position, the father did all the work. But that little boy was like, oh my goodness, did you see what I did? And I feel it relates so much to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
God is, all God wants us to do is to position ourselves well so that behind us, as it were, God can move through us and cause, a, cause an increase of his kingdom. So our, our response is, is, is fellowship. Our response is intimacy. Our response is to follow Jesus, not to force or make things happen. So with this idea of all of Jesus for everyone, our new framework, we ask the question, is it time? Is it time to, to change the name? Is it time to, to find a new name that God wants to give us? Church in the city, the, the name that God gave us 15 years ago was a, was a statement of fact. It was a great statement. We, we found out later that, that Church in the City was one of the first churches of a, of a new wave of church plants back into downtown Chicago. So Church in the City was a very appropriate name 15 years ago, but it wasn't a statement of destiny. It wasn't a name that spoke identity. It wasn't a name that spoke purpose. And we felt like God wanted us to, to find a name that would match this all of Jesus for everyone. We asked you guys, and some of you came up with some outstanding suggestions. And as an eldership team, we threw some suggestions into the mix, but, but nothing really stuck. And for months, we, we prayed, we waited, we prayed, we waited. We, we, we eventually did what any sane eldership team would do. We reached out to Eric Staples. And, and, and Eric, Eric, I'll say this, was brilliant. He did not give us the name, unfortunately. But he said this. A name is not found. A name is given. A name is not found. A name is given. And honestly, that was so profound. Think of every single one of you. Did you choose your name? No, your parents gave you your name. And God does the same in scriptures. Genesis 17, he says, you will be Abraham. Isaiah 62, you will be called my delight. Matthew 16, you are Peter. Declaring names. Isaiah 62 says, You will be called by a new name that the mouth of God will bestow. And we were desperate for that. Lord, would you speak? Would you bestow on us the name that you want to declare? And honestly, it happened a couple weeks later. We were sitting at an elders' meeting and God dropped the name into our hearts. We sat there in silence for a few moments. We felt the peace and presence of God like we did when God dropped all of Jesus for everyone into our hearts. To the people who, who, who love to respond by intuition, they said an immediate yes. To the people who love the processes and the systems, they realized they checked all the boxes. I mean, it, it, just, it just resonated. To, to those who love to, to love to see connections, they realized they connected to all of Jesus for everyone and God had given it. I mean, it, it literally felt so Right. One of my, what I think is one of my strengths is, I, is I'm, I'm, I'm a very loyal person. And with it comes this fierce sense of patriotism. And back in South Africa, we, we, were, we were there through apartheid and then as apartheid was abolished. And, and one of the things that, that brought our nation back then in South Africa, brought the nation together was the national anthem, Nkosi Sikileli Africa. South Africa plays a lot of international sports, more so than America, and it's a very proud moment to represent your country. And it's a very proud moment as a South African to see your sports team standing up in their sports colors, singing in Kosi Sikileli Africa, especially in a cappella. 
Not when the rugby players or, or soccer players sing, but when there's a choir singing. It literally sends shivers down your spine. And the, the reason for that is, is I'm convinced God was on that national anthem. God brought a divided nation together. God spoke a new sense of identity and purpose over South Africa. God revealed to us that there was a new tribe that he was forming, a tribe of people from every kind of culture and race and background. And I want to say, as fiercely patriotic as I was in South Africa, we are even more patriotic now that we live in America. And the reason is, is because God called us to serve his purposes in this nation. We, we, we've dreamt, we, we had dreamt for years to be in this nation serving the purposes of God. And, and, and one of the things that God used us to grab our hearts for this nation was the Star Spangled Banner. Before we lived here, back in South Africa, we would literally be watching a movie in our living room and we'd hear the national anthem and we would begin to weep. And we still do so now. Whether it's at a sporting event of 75,000 people, when the Star Spangled Banner is, is played, we, we just begin to weep. Or whether it's poolside with 25 parents attending one of our kids' swim meets and the national anthem is poorly sung, we still stand there <laughs> with, with our, our hand on our heart and tears rolling down our cheeks. Forget for a moment the controversy with our national anthem at the moment and the fact that it is associated with, with protests. And forget for, the mo- for a moment the, 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 the state that our nation is in. And think for a moment, the, the, the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, in its purest form, is a song that is, that is meant to be declared, that speaks wholeheartedness and boldness and courage over us as the people of this nation. It is meant to be pulling us together. It is meant to, to give us a sense of identity and a sense of purpose, a sense of this nation is, is great and can be great in God. That's what the, the national anthem is meant to do. The national anthem is a, is a rally cry. In Kosi Sikileli, Africa was that for South Africa. The Star Spangled Banner is that for this nation. And all of Jesus for everyone is the anthem cry for church in the city, which was church in the city. All of Jesus for everyone is our anthem cry. And our new name is Anthem Church. That's the new name that God has dropped into our hearts. Sense of identity, sense of purpose, sense of wholeheartedness, sense of tomorrow God is going to do amazing things. Now God is going to do amazing things. And so what I want us to do, Debs and Aiden and the team have been working on a song specific for today. They've written an anthem song, a response to all of Jesus for everyone in the new name Anthem Church. And today I want us to stand and not, we're not going to be worshiping a church. We're not going to be worshiping a new name. We're going to be worshiping Jesus and the things that he has done. We've celebrated this morning all that God has done over the last two years. And this song captures something of that celebration from the past, but it also looks to the future and all that God has called Anthem Church to be. So let's stand together and let's worship and then we'll bring the meeting into land after that. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.